Mark, chapter 5, 1 through 20. Jesus and his disciples came to the boat of, uh, um, on the other side of the lake in the region of Gerasene. As soon as Jesus got out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out of the tombs. This man lived among the tombs, and no one was ever strong enough to restrain him, even with a chain. He had been secured many times with leg irons and chains, but he broke the chains and smashed the leg irons. No one was tough enough to control him. Night and day in the tombs and the hills, he would howl and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from far away, he ran and knelt before him, shouting, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. He said this because Jesus had already commanded him, Unclean spirit, come out of the man. Jesus asked him, What is your name? He responded, Legion is my name, because we are many. They pleaded with Jesus not to send them out of that region. A large herd of pigs was feeding in the hillside. Send us to the pigs, they begged. Let us go into the pigs. Jesus gave them permission. So the unclean spirits left the man and went into the pigs. Then the herd of about 2,000 pigs rushed down the cliff into the lake and drowned. Those who tended the pigs ran away and told the story in the city and in the countryside. People came to see what had happened. They came to Jesus and saw the man who used to, uh, used to be the demon demon-possessed. They saw the very man who had been filled with many demons sitting there fully dressed and completely sane, and they were filled with awe. Those who were at, had actually seen what had happened to the demon-possessed man told the others about the pigs. Then they pleaded with Jesus to leave their region. While he was climbing in the boat, the one who had been demon-possessed pleaded with Jesus to let him come along as one of his disciples, but Jesus wouldn't allow it. Go home to your own people, Jesus said, and tell them what the Lord has done for you and how he has shown you mercy. The man went away and began to proclaim the ten, uh, in the ten cities all that Jesus had done for him, and everyone was amazed. Words of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Please be seated. All right. Well, that story was terrifying. That was terrifying. Austin, thank you for reading. Uh, good morning. My name is Drew Wilson, and it's a joy to serve as a co-pastor here at Common Table. At this time, we want to encourage our kids to head out to kids' ministry. Millard, thank you for being here. Can we clap for our kids, our kids' volunteers, kids' ministry? We are ever grateful ever grateful. All right. See, I know I would want to stay here and talk about demons too. I would, you know, goodness. Yeah. So amen. Amen. Friends, uh, this story that we just read is terrifying and we want to acknowledge that. Um, you don't have to have seen the exorcist to be disturbed by this depiction of a person possessed by an unclean spirit. And before we proceed any further, let me just say that we are going to proceed with great caution. With great caution. We gathered in this space come from a lot of different places and a lot of different religious backgrounds. And so we understand that 
we may have different experiences, different things that we've heard about demons, about possession, things like that. Here at Common Table, it is really important that we engage stuff with care and with compassion. And it's really important that we engage with stuff and with tough topics. And so this comes up in scripture. And so we want to figure out how as a community we can do this together. Okay. In one of my favorite books of all time, a children's fairy tale called The Thirteen Clocks, the villain, who is a cold and heartless duke, has slain many a prince for speaking disrespectfully of sin. Speaking disrespectfully of sin. And that line has always stuck with me as kind of a guide um, in pastoral ministry and even in preaching that when it comes to sin and when it comes to evil and when it comes to demons, let us not speak disrespectfully, let us speak carefully, humbly. Some of you may remember that line from the 1990s movie, The Usual Suspects. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he did not exist. Now that, to be clear, is not scripture. But it is fair warning that when we get too comfortable with how we think that the world works around us or within us, we may soon be humbled. The truth is that there are things in this world that we do not know. That's not just spirituality, that's scientific reality. A few months back, I shared with you all the concept of umwelt. Do you remember that? Umwelt, not simply an animal's surroundings, but specifically the part of those surroundings that an animal can sense and experience. That is, the umwelt is an animal's perceptual world. There is the world around us alive and vast, and then there's that small portion of the world that our senses are actually capable of taking in. Here's what I mean. For example, we humans can only hear about 20 to 20,000 hertz. But we know that there are sound waves below and above that range. And we know that other creatures can hear them and make them. A couple weeks ago, my son, Hallie, wanted to play for me a hearing test that his science teacher shared in class. And I was like, a hearing test? Bring it on. I'm a musician. I have good ears. <laughs> 20 to 20,000 hertz. Like, I know this stuff. This is what humans can hear. Bring on the 20,000 hertz. And so first, to warm me up, my son played a tone at 14,000 hertz. And that seems generous, right? Not even starting up at the top. 14,000 hertz. And I thought, uh-oh. That sounds really high. Like, I can't actually imagine hearing anything higher than that. And then, next... He played for me a tone at 15,000 hertz, supposedly, because I couldn't hear it. I could not hear a thing. It was very humbling. My umwelt was showing. My umwelt was showing that it is not only limited, it's less than it was. I'm getting old. Too many rock shows, right? As Ed Young, the author of An Immense World, writes, To us, our umwelt feels all-encompassing. It is all that we know, and so we easily mistake it for all there is to know. This is an illusion and one that every animal shares. So, when we come to this story of a man possessed by demons, let us come in awe and humility Let's not rush to conclusions. 
In particular, there are two typical interpretations that we might try to hold off for a bit, okay? The first interpretation is this. It's a more personal interpretation. In this interpretation, we identify personally with the man possessed, and Jesus comes to us despite our rage and our violence, our brokenness and sinfulness, and Jesus heals us. Ain't God good? Alleluia. Amen. And so we sing, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. Okay, we get good songs to sing with this version, right? Now, another interpretation is perhaps more postmodern. And in this interpretation, the man possessed is dealing with a serious mental affliction that may stem from chemical imbalance or physical or emotional trauma. His own people have tried restraining him, shackling him, chaining him like an animal, all to no effect other than that he is now marginalized, ostracized, excluded from his community. Everyone else has given up on him, but Jesus approaches him, treats him like a human being, and so heals him, restoring him to his community by the end of the story. Jesus says, go home to your own people and tell them what the Lord has done for you. And so we sing, help us accept each other as Christ accepted us. Teach us in tender mercy each person to embrace. And some of us might like that interpretation a whole lot. That one sounds good to us. And I want to be really clear. Either of those interpretations, beautiful and faithful. We're not dismissing either one of those. All right? It's good stuff. And they both give us really good songs to sing. But they both avoid dealing with the demons. In their view, demons are just a metaphor for either anything that would keep us from a personal saving relationship with Jesus or a metaphor for anything that would keep us from being wholly accepted and resourced and restored in society. So demons are either personal sins, vices, and moral failings, or demons are structural injustices like inequitable health care or institutional racism. Demons aren't real. As Heart of Darkness author Joseph Conrad wrote, the belief in a supernatural source of evil is not necessary. Humans alone are quite capable of every wickedness. Fair enough. But what about the pigs? What about the pigs? 2,000 pigs rushing down the cliff into the sea. And what about this creepy voice that speaks from the man and yet speaks of many within? Legion is my name because we are many. Legion is a Latin word that means a unit of 6,000 soldiers in the Roman army. The implication being 6,000 spirits within this man amassed for conflict, waging war. 
And what about the man himself? Do we have the humility to listen to him? To listen to his experience? Or are we all too ready to diagnose his disease as an acute attack of a metaphor? That is not what Jesus does. Jesus speaks to the demons. The point is, let's acknowledge something in this story beyond personal sin, beyond structural injustice, beyond human wickedness, okay? We need to deal with the demons. In October 2016, Vanity Fair published an article called The Devil and Father Amorth Witnessing the Vatican Exorcist at Work. Father Gabriel Amorth was a Roman Catholic priest Ordained in 1951, in 1992, he became the chief exorcist in Rome. He performed thousands of exorcisms, but not willy-nilly. According to the article, Father Amorth insisted that anyone who came to him first seek the help of traditional medicine and psychiatry. He said, out of a hundred people who seek my help, one or two at most may be possessed. And the article goes on to describe an exorcism of a young woman in Italy. And it is intense. It resists quick explanation. The images of the woman are blurred here. But you may see people trying to restrain her. There is thrashing and there is yelling. Father Amorth asks, how many demons are you? 80 legions, comes the reply. And the author's, sorry, the, yeah, uh, the article's author, who is an admitted agnostic, later showed the video of the exorcism to Dr. Neil Martin, chief of neurosurgery at the UCLA Medical Center. And Dr. Martin responded, absolutely amazing. There is a major force at work within her somehow. I don't know the underlying origin of it. It could be delirium, an agitated disconnection from normal behavior, but the powerful verbalization we're hearing, that's not what you get with delirium. With delirium, you see the struggling, maybe the yelling, but this guttural voice seems like it's coming from someplace else. I've done thousands of surgeries on brain tumors, traumatic brain injuries, ruptured brain aneurysms, infections affecting the brain, and I haven't seen this kind of consequence from any of those disorders. This goes beyond anything I've ever experienced, that's for certain. After the exorcism, not the first and not the last for this woman, the author of the article asked her about her experience. Did she feel better? And she said, each time it feels like I'm becoming free. I can feel the devil suffering inside me. In my breviary, my prayer book, the Benedictus, the song of Zechariah in Luke chapter 1, begins, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who shepherds the people, and sets them free. And I wonder, I wonder if sometimes we spend so much time with image of, images of God as our shepherd, as patient guide and comforter, 
that we lose sight of God, our fierce liberator, setting us free. God who does battle with evil to set us free. Christ who speaks not just to calm the storm and the sea, but also to name the demons and command them to flee. Can we be humbled to acknowledge so much unseen around us, so much mystery among us, that there may just be powers at play holding us captivity, holding us in captivity from which we need to be rescued. What if Christ comes to us with the power and the glory to actually break our chains and turn us loose? What if? We spend so much time fighting against each other, we humans. But as the Apostle Paul writes, we aren't fighting against human enemies, but against rulers, authorities, forces of cosmic darkness, and spiritual powers of evil in the heavens. None of this denies the reality of personal sin or structures of injustice. But it also sets us free from misusing these very real things to make false enemies of each other. It's ironic. If we faithfully use language like demonic, that can actually help us to keep from demonizing each other. I'm going to say that again, and we're going to keep going with that thought. Ready? If we faithfully use language like demonic, it can help us to keep from demonizing each other. Here's what I mean. Look at today's story. In dealing with the demons, Jesus always keeps sight of the humanity of the man. Jesus never demonizes him. To be possessed by demons does not make you demonic. The demons are demonic. Duh. We aren't fighting against human enemies, but against rulers, authorities, forces of cosmic darkness, and spiritual powers of evil in the heavens. And here we need to talk about Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, because Dr. King had this unbelievable capacity to acknowledge evil and to have love and compassion for the other. That is Dr. King's remarkable synthesis that so confounds us. Dr. King wrote, is anything more obvious than the presence of evil in the universe? Its nagging prehensile tentacles project into every level of human existence. We may debate the origin of evil, but only a victim of superficial optimism would debate its reality. Evil is stark, grim, and colossally real. Yet Christianity clearly affirms that in the long struggle between good and evil, good eventually will emerge as victor. Evil is ultimately doomed by the powerful, inexorable forces of good. Good Friday must give way to the triumphant music of Easter. King identified evil in the world. And he did it very specifically. Do you remember? The three evils of racism, poverty, and militarism. But in doing so, 
king always kept a vision of the humanity of the other and a vision of the beloved community for which we are striving. Committed to Christ's way of nonviolence and love, King never demonized his detractors, as demon-possessed as they may have been. But he sure as hell tried to serve as our exorcist. Now, to me, the invitation of this story of the man possessed by demons is twofold. First, we're invited to deal with the demons. Namely, we are invited to join Christ in speaking of the demonic as a way of telling truth and loving each other. Now, that said, if you want to start calling things and people demonic, you need to ask yourself if you're committed to loving them. Because if you're not, please don't call them demonic. That's not going to help anybody. Don't do it. All right, please don't walk out of common table today and be like, oh, what I heard in my sermon. Oh, well, uh, boss, teacher, you give me this assignment that I hate. That's demonic. Not going to do it. Please don't do that. Please don't do that. Okay. But if we can name the demonic as a way of saying something is possessed here and we're going to love the humanity and seek transformation together. That may be useful. I mean, might not, the ch- might not the world need the church to say that racism is demonic? Might not the world need the church to say that white supremacy is demonic? Might not the world need the church to step up and say that any presidential campaign effort, to the extent that it is a vehicle for white supremacy and unchecked idolatry and demonization of the other, That's demonic. But to speak of the demonic is to acknowledge both the evil among us and the humanity between us. It calls us not to the low mistake of making more human enemies, but rather to the heights of our humanity, to be set free from the demons so that we can be restored to each other. We mustn't lose sight of that. The second invitation in this story is this. It is to believe that Christ has the power to cast out the demons. And we may not. After casting out the man's demons, Jesus does not tell him to go and do likewise. Isn't that interesting? Oh, now that's happened to me, I'm going to go do it. No, actually, go back to your own people and tell them what God has done for you. And you may recall that Jesus' own disciples struggled to cast out demons in Matthew chapter 17. Why can't we do this, Jesus? But in the story we've read, Jesus has the power. Jesus has the power both to command the demons and to see the humanity that is fully there. And this is the way of Christ. This is something to put our faith in. It is good that we are here, and it is good that we serve in the world as Christ's people. We call on the one who speaks to our demons while seeing our personality. The one who casts out the demonic and restores us to our humanity. Thanks be to God. All praise to you, Lord Christ.